great as well, guys. Uh, we are, as a local community, we do basically consecutive, what would you call it, consecutive expositional teaching, which means that we go through, uh, we try to be unbiased, and we try to go through, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, and what that allows, uh, that allows, hopefully, against the frailty of man, where we can find ourselves trying to be comfortable in places that we like. Um, a lot of times people find themselves just hanging out in epistles or uh, in, in the Gospels. And um, if you look on our line, we, we're all over the place right now. We are finishing. And I bring that up to say we are in Second Thessalonians now. It's, uh, we're in the last verses, which is really cool to see the sovereignty of God in that. Uh, last few verses, uh, especially being my, my last time of being able to teach. And so we'll usher in probably a new book and things of that sort uh, after this time. And we want to encourage you as you're in Second Thessalonians to consider uh, what's going on in this local community. So I'm going to bring that up. Uh, but before then, let me pray for us. Uh, this is a wonderful time. Uh, as we are worshiping our Savior, let's continue to worship him if you would bow your heads for me. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for, for yourself. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll bring glory to Christ as we uh, proclaim your word as you exalt your name. I ask that you would use me in your grace, that you use this time to further your kingdom. Lord, would you strip away any flesh or things that might hinder your word being clear. And we ask it for even the witnesses here, Lord, that their minds and their hearts would be hungry for your word, uh, that all the drama that we know happens in our life, things that we're trying to think about right now, Lord, would you give everyone a jealousy for your glory? where they can sit all that stuff down and say, I want to learn more about Jesus. And for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would right now just uh, spark in their hearts a desire to want to know about the Savior and Creator. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, family. So we are at the end of uh, the letter, which is called Second uh, Thessalonians. And the end of a letter, uh, many, many times in the, in the, in the epistles, uh, is it's called the benediction. Now, obviously, you're on a moving train if it's your first time here because <laughs> the sermon is the last, last one of the books. So we want to highly encourage you to go back and listen online and hope you'll be encouraged. Um, so uh, the word benediction, which is what we'll be talking about today, means basically a good word, right? So usually a prayer of God's blessing upon his people. And so uh, my, my hope and desire is that uh, that's what this time is, is that as I get to, um, in God's grace and honor of being able to serve this local community uh, for all of its duration up, up to now, I get to hopefully give uh, God's blessing uh, as we say the Lord be with you. So I'm um, hoping that will be an encouragement today. Uh, remember, let me give you a snapshot about Second Thessalonians. This church, like all the other churches, but specifically this one, uh, was birthed in crazy drama. Okay? We've talked about this many times. We've got to remember that as we're looking at why this would even be helpful of what's going on in these last verses. Uh, this church had uh, new believers uh, come, come to Christ because of Paul's ministry and some of his guys with him. Uh, they eventually get persecuted. Uh, they get uh, beat up. They get forced out of uh, Thessalonica. Uh, they are nervous uh, because they've been forced out of Thessalonica. Uh, and these new Christians are there. And guess how long they've been Christians? Three weeks. Right? I mean, think about that. Now, many of us, we've done discipleship. We've shared our faith. we poured into people. Um, and, you know, you can pour in someone for over a year. And then they leave you and you're concerned. You're concerned. Are they going to keep the faith? Do they, do, they, do they really understand a forsaken life concept that we talked in week four? 
to start thinking about all the things and you want people uh, to fight the fight well. Well, think about it. Not only did they leave, but they left people who were Christians for maybe about three weeks. And we're talking not just, oh, I'm going to talk bad about you, okay, or I just don't like Christians. We're talking persecution where individuals are being beaten, economic stress. We're talking people using their power to abuse individuals that they did not like who were part of the way. So imagine that. Imagine that. You're those believers. Now imagine you're Paul. Imagine you're thinking, oh my goodness. They beat me, they, they, they hurt me, but I got out. <laughs> right? These people have to stay. Every time they see their face, how many of y'all have done that, right? I know y'all like everybody. But if there's somebody in the room who don't like somebody, when you see that person, somebody who reminds you of them, as a Christian, you have to do a lot of renewing your mind, don't you? Right? Imagine being an unbeliever without the Holy Spirit. Imagine seeing people that remind you of that guy who tried to stir up stuff here, who tried to say that, no, Caesar, if Jesus is king, then Caesar is not. Imagine that guy. Right? This is what's going on. So Paul writes, so when you read this letter, it's in the midst of that drama. A hotbed of persecution. Bad teaching that comes out of that. We've seen in this, in this text church discipline. All this is going on with young believers. As it were, almost without a pastor. It made sense, guys, to have verse 16 through 18. Let me read it to you. Now may the Lord of peace, huh? You got drama like that, family. You see why he's talking about peace, right? May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. This is how he's ending the letter. The Lord be with you all. He says, I, Paul, verse 17, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So you've had a letter of encouragement of him saying, in the midst of what I just shared with you, you also have these believers are absolutely on fire. They're on fire to the point other people are hearing about them in other outskirts and talking about the vibrancy of their faith. The vibrancy of their faith in their baby Christians. I mean, how much doctrine did you know in the midst of, of, of robust discipleship after three weeks? You know you were still messing up the Trinity. You know you didn't understand what evangelism was about. You didn't understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. But I, I love this letter, and I love that we're in it at this time, because you know what it points to? This helps me as a discipler. This humbles me as a discipler, because this lets me know it's not about what I pour into people. Three weeks, and yet they're standing firm in the midst of persecution and other people getting saved. Does that, does that free you people? Does that free you people of God to go out and proclaim him? Does that free you when you're pouring into somebody and you're sitting with them and you're having coffee and not feel like, man, if I don't get this right? Does it free you just to do life? Because you can go home and go, man, the Thessalonians are still walking. Right? 
Let's break down this passage a little bit. Look what's happening here. So that's what's going on. That's the, that's the, the framework we're in right now. That's the, as you put your first century glasses on, that's what's going on as Paul is writing this. He's, he's seeing these guys have the persecution, but yet standing firm in the Lord, but yet in the midst of that, there's people coming in and they're trying to provide bad doctrine. So we go and we look at that a little bit, bad doctrine about the, the last times, what's going to happen when God brings new creation in as a gift. He has to deal with that. He has to deal with, with individuals who are trying to milk the church, who are, who are taking the money and, and, and taking their generosity and abusing that. He has, to tell, he has to deal with those issues. He has to deal with bad doctrine. Bring church discipline in through the letter, making it clear that, hey, here's holiness is important. So all this is happening. So he ends the letter with all that going on, trying to strengthen the church family. Start with verse 16. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. Lord, be with you all. You know, when you want to talk, if you want to ratchet down deeply into what peace is about, I think one of my favorite uh, talks that I've heard is actually uh, Jonathan Demers does. I think he's done it actually twice. He's talked about peace when he's preached before. And uh, I don't know which sermons it was, brother. So y'all got to just go through the whole of the list and like, maybe like Google peace, Jonathan Demers or something. But... Um, but it's a wonderful sermon because he, he really robustly talks about the concept of peace. And I think we have some, some stinking thinking when it comes to peace. And I think it would help us um, to, uh, to go back and get that cleared up a little bit. But here, I want to provide kind of just a cursory framework of peace as we jump into the text. I just want us to understand that first, pre- peace as it, as it was existentially. And what I mean by that is a big word that's just basically saying that you show externally. Right, that you can see, um, was a broad concept. And what it did, it, was, it, it encompasses two things. It encompasses the, the absence of conflict. This is what peace is, as you think about it normally. The absence of conflict, conflict and the presence of well-being. Right? So this is what, this is what when, when we're talking about peace in a cursory manner, and, and, and it makes sense, right? So you can get so theological sometimes. You're like, well, what is, I thought peace, in my natural rhythm, I felt peace would be something like this. And then we start over-theologizing, and then you don't know what peace is. I want to propose to you from a curse, from an existential manner, just how you look at it practically, which this probably makes a little sense, doesn't it? That peace is when there's no drama, right? And in, and in you, you feel like, man, I'm doing okay. I'm kind of doing okay. But you go, well, if that's the case, then how can you still have peace when there's drama? Because God says you can. He actually, he, he's actually saying peace... Hey, he says, peace be with you. He just says, here, here's peace. And you go, thanks, but I don't still feel peace. I want to propose to you that although that is what we desire, there's something actually spiritual about the sense of, of peace. And the spiritual reality goes beyond this human peace that I just provided to you. And you can write this address down. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9 talks about this. That peace is that surpasses all understanding, Right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which you, we don't even understand, it will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So although you have this, this peace that is clear, that you can kind of see, and he wants us to have that peace, he's saying, in, even in that desire, just understand that there's a peace spiritual that's even deeper than that, and only those who actually, I propose to you, have the Holy Spirit can experience that peace. It's a spiritual thing. So let's unpack what Paul is saying. Verse 16, he says, that peace, I'm praying that God gives it to you 
at all times, every time, all day. You see that? Right? That means every season of life, which confirms what I just said. You can have peace in the good days, and you can have them in the bad days. In fact, he wants you to. Now, I want you to stick with me, family, here, because what the Bible does, every time we open up the Bible, right, it's a demythalization process, right? He demythologizes your life. He takes your myths and my myths, and he exposes them. He says, first, you're thinking wrong, and what's supposed to happen in the sermon is then we begin to think right because we begin to say, I'm messed up. Here's what God has said. Let me not believe what God has said. But it's an exercise that's hard because sometimes we're like, man, but I... That's going to be hard to live life realizing that God is actually proclaiming that I can always have peace. I want you to sing, I want that, I want you to drink that. Think about that now, because I'm going to make some other claims here, and if you haven't dealt with that claim, you'll be all messed up in the sermon. Okay? It's important that God is saying we can always have peace. In fact, he's saying to them, Lord, may the Lord of peace give it to you at all times. And then he says, family, look what he says here, in every way. Now, I want to say there's three ways where we internally and, and externally experience peace. First, peace with God. Romans 5.1, what does the scripture say, family? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So, so first, this is one of the first ways that you and I have peace, that, that basically we are enemies of God, and then in his grace, he makes us his friends. I mean, to this, I, that's, you know, as a, as a believer now, it's cool. I'm like, praise God, now I feel like I've been a believer longer than I have not, which is a huge blessing. And I'm like, I'm still, I'm still blown away at the fact that, I was, that he made me his friend as, as I was his enemy, totally opposing him. So family, if you're here right now, let me be very clear. What the Bible teaches is that the Lord died for your sins, right? Which is, which you have this concept of forgiveness we talk about. That the Lord died for your sins, that he, he wants to forgive you of your sins. But guess what's cool? It doesn't just, it doesn't end there. Because remember something, you still evil and messed up. Oh, I forgot to tell you. So the Bible teaches that, and, and, and hear me here, the Bible teaches, you know what I'm saying? The Bible teaches that there is a good God and bad people, right? That's hard for us, especially in America, hard to really digest that, but that's just real. And you don't have to really go far until you, until you see our depravity, is what the Bible is called, the doctrine of total depravity, that we are born evil, all right? We're born because of our sin, because of the fall, we're messed up, and we need a rescuer. And there's a country song out now, now don't, don't play me, I don't listen to country too much, <laughs> Right? But it happened to be on the station. And I don't even know the song. Maybe if you listen to country, you know. But the guy says, this is a new one out. All I remember he was saying, he was like, I believe that people are good. You know what I'm talking about? Right? And I just thought, man, are you kidding me? Where does this brother live? I was like, I love doctrines that are just clear in a day. You know, that you gotta just be you, you gotta just be living in a la la land to believe. You come on guys. I mean maybe maybe when you have ki- I got kids and and I'm I'm messed up. But I love the fact that you don't have to teach a child how to lie. I love that. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. Think about it. Who taught you how to lie? Who taught you how to be selfish? It's out the, all of a sudden your beautiful sweet child is is disobeying you. No one taught him how to disobey. 
you remember you remember how you like, oh he he walking, she walking, and she, you know, she then you like, don't don't go over there. She look at you, I am. <laughs> I heard I heard, you remember you know, when you're a parent, you don't know if they're getting it or not. You have that little stage. There's like the two months. And I think the kids know they got a two-month window to play you. Right? They know. I got two months. They don't, they don't know I know, but I know. But I'm going to keep I'm gonna milk this. And then one day you'll be like, I think he knows what he's doing. You ever seen that? Think about it, family. You don't have to teach any of that stuff. You know, go to, go, to the, go to the library and find a book on how to hate more successfully. You won't find that. You know why? Because we perfectly know how to hate people all well by ourselves. You hear me? You go to a library, you find books on how to love people, seven habits of highly effective people, how to win friends and be an influence, right? You find all these books on how to be good and how to be better because we have a problem with that. You won't find books on how to hate because you can do it well all by yourselves. You understand that? I say that because in the midst of that, God has forgiven you. But then because you're jacked up, you'll still get right back into your mess. God hasn't just forgiven you. The Bible teaches he also justified you. So you have forgiveness where he's wiped the slate clean, and then you have justification where he says you can't be righteous by yourself, so what I'm going to do is impute righteousness in you. I'm going to make you righteous. That's the beauty of the Christian life is that we're made righteous. We don't make ourselves righteous. Isn't it free? I say that if you're here right now and you're wondering, why do people worship this God that they can't see? Why are we walking around here? Why do we meet here on Sundays? This is why. Because we're free by unmerited favor, nothing we've done through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sins, rose for your justification so that you could be forgiving. And faith makes what Jesus accomplished yours. When you believe that, when you believe in him, Jesus, the person, the finished work of God, he says, I save you. I save you from sin, from Satan, from death, from evil, and I make you my child. What a joy. The question I have, I want to make sure, is that do you have peace with God? That everyone under my voice would have peace with God, that you would have experienced spiritual rebirth made new. So peace with God, but also the second one is peace with yourselves. Romans, uh, Philippians 4, 7, we just read that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, we read that. Uh, that it's possible to have peace with God, family, and have turmoil in yourself. Right? And we see that all over. Where Satan has lied, and he's stripped, and he's, he's not reminded you of the dignity you have in Christ. And so, so as, as Paul is telling these guys, as, as, as people are going through so much in this, in this local community, he's saying, first, I want you to understand your peace with God, and I want you to know that you're okay because of what Christ has done in you. You're right. Without Jesus, you are a mess. But in Christ, you're holy and perfect and loved and adored. And then peace toward others. Right, so we have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace toward others. Romans 12, 18, what does he say? He says, if far as it depends on you to live peaceably or at peace with all. Now, let me, let me I got to teach doctrine. I just want to, I got to share this is an important doctrine that we got to get. Okay, family? It's going to be very important. 
Now, piece two and three, I feel like um, fit together because usually it's usually life with people that cause unrest in ourselves and others. Is that fair? Is that we, we, we're just, all of us in here are, are, sin, are sinners, right? Who've been made right in Christ if you love Jesus. And then we're rubbing against each other and then that makes, that makes things kind of murky and crazy. That's just a covenant community, okay? And so why does Paul spend his last statements on peace like this, right? I want to propose because he knows that first, that basically... The issue of, of internal strife, or, or I would say the tactics of Satan, is to do a couple of things. Make sure you write these down. He wants to disrupt, disrupt priest, destroy fellowship. That's what he wants to do. Okay? Here's how he does it. Here's his tactics. He uses physical violence. And this is 2 Thessalonians. This is what we're seeing. He uses Christian persecution. And he uses internal strife. Okay, so we're talking about peace with yourself and peace with others. How does that work? I'm proposing Satan, like, this is, this is you know, you don't, you get saved, and now it's like, okay, now what? He's like, I gotta, I gotta zero in on these things. So physical violence, Christian persecution, and eternal strife. And the reason why those are important, family, don't miss this, is because when those things are happening, God is being dishonored, and guess what? We're being distracted from the main thing. When those things are happening. Now, let me bring up, though, one and two are easy as we talk about these. One is physical violence. Two is Christian persecution. Here's why I say they're easy. Because I propose to you that persecution is not an enemy of the church. That usually, when, people, when, when Christians are persecuted, right, and even with physical violence, basically, the, we've seen throughout history that Christians, by God's grace, rise up. That actually God uses all that. We've seen it to actually extend the church, to grow the local body, to purify the heart of the believer, right? Because we can all say, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus right now. But then someone comes in here with a semi-automatic and says, will you proclaim Christ or I'm going to kill you? Now the stakes are raised. And some people all throughout our world are living like that. Where for them to proclaim Christ is for them to lose their family, their kids, their lives. So one and two are, are, are kind of clear. Uh, it's like, hey, if you physical violence, um, that dishonors God. Um, Christian persecution, that's dishonor God. But internal strife is interesting. Let's, I want to process that a little bit. Um, and here's why. Because I would propose out of the other two, I don't think they kill the church. Internal strife almost killed this local body many years ago, and I have seen it destroy churches in my time as a pastor. Let me say that again. And here's the thing. When I thought about what can we share, what, what am I going to share? If I obviously want to be faithful to the text, which I'm praising God for his sovereignty, that this is part of the text. I thought, I want to talk about this because this destroys the local church. And what I don't want happening is that this local body gets destroyed. And I love that there's so many visitors a part of other bodies because hopefully you can take what we're talking about back to your community and remember it when the Lord allows you in his grace to put you in an environment that's, that reminds you of this text here, okay? Hey, Mike, can we pull this out real quick? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the board. I think it's over there. 
I want to write some things down. All right, family? Actually, actually, Mike's going to write it down. Here you go, Mike. I'll just share what I want you to write, bud. So, so here, here's what, here's, here, and, let me, and I'm, I tell you, I'm guilty of this. Many of you are guilty of this. We do this all the time and because I see it happen so many times in local body, bodies. I want us to hold each other accountable to this, okay? And, and call me on this, all right? I want you to fact check me because that will build conviction in your own heart. Okay. Fact check me. So we're talking about internal strife. How does internal strife happen? Um, Strife always, I, w- I want to propose to you, whenever there's internal strife, there's sin. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's an intense statement. I want to propose whenever there's internal strife, somewhere in the journey is sin. Okay? Here, here there's, and there's three, there's, a, there's areas of internal strife. Here's what happens. We're, t- we're going to talk, I want to call this, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting from cuff here. I want to call this the doctrine of judgment. <laughs> All right? But, I, but it's thoroughly biblocentric. I just haven't named it yet. All right? What you have in life, and then we're going to go home. What you have in life is you have God who's the creator of all things. What he's done is he's given us an opportunity to govern his world. And what he's done is he said, hey, guys, because y'all jacked up, all right, I'm going to set some ground rules. Here's how I want you to govern the world. I want you to understand is that there's God's opinions can you put opinions up there? And there's man's opinions. Okay? Y'all, y'all with me right now? Say amen or we're going to stay here all day. Amen. All right. Now, God's opinion is really, he, he, what he does, he says, I want you to be most concerned with my opinion. That's God. And God's opinion is this, that there are things that are sin and there's things that are holy. Okay? And then there's things that are just, they're just neutral. Y'all with me still? Okay. Now, when I think of internal strife, what happens, and, I, and I've seen this with, you know, Sarah and I, we were, we were just, I was laughing because I do this with my kids. I do this with Sarah all the time. I feel, I feel like I see it a lot in families, uh, in relation, obviously in relationships. What happens is we don't have a problem. We, we, have one, well, we, we first have a problem when we deal with God's opinion. Because someone could be in sin, and what we're saying is that they're, they're, they're um, not reflecting the heart of God in some area, they're dishonoring God, and the person could not repent, okay? Repent meaning that you would turn away from your sin toward God. Now, what's hard about that is there should be church discipline. For whatever reason, some people are okay with saying, hey, I did something wrong, and they repent, but sometimes some people are bullish and say, no, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do my own thing. So that's a hard thing, okay? I'm going to admit that. But it's clear, Right, if you're in sin or not, that's clear. So we have so the local community, we have to work through that. We've had scenarios where people are sinning, and you have to work through that stuff. Okay. You have other opinion. You have other scenarios, but that's God's opinion. But then God says there's another opinion. There's our opinion. Okay, that's actually valid and important, but not as important as God's. God is saying for you and me, when we have an opinion, right? He says that that opinion basically can be agreed upon or not. Y'all still with me? Y'all staying with me now? You see where I'm going? Okay. This happens within 
friendships. This happens with mom and dad. This happens with kids. I'll give some examples in a moment. And so what God is saying, that man's opinion, when you get over to man's opinion, and you can put, uh, what we could put here? Um, in Romans 14, I'm going to put their address down, Romans 14, 1 through 7. And if you have your Bibles, look, look at it real quick with me. And specifically verse 1, look what he says here. In God's opinion, there's a clear thing that God wants to teach. He's saying, I want you to be holy and not sinful. In man's opinion, there's a clear thing he wants to teach. I want to teach you grace, love, and Christian liberty. Now, I'm going to say that again. All right, y'all with me? I want to teach you grace, love, and Christian liberty. This is for families, kids, everybody. And look, what he, look how he starts off, verse 1. He gives, he, gives, he gives a command here. And as our newly married couple here, y'all listen to this. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. But what does he say? But not to quarrel over opinions. That's a command. Now, that's difficult. What is God trying to say here? This is really difficult. Because what God is saying is that you have two opinions, all right, and you can disagree. Wait a minute. We still got work to do. Two opinions, and there's a disagreement. But guess what? There's still an issue of conscience. You could have an opinion, and I can have an opinion, and it cannot be sin externally where you don't see, okay, there's no sin. But then in my heart, I know I sin against you. You ever done that? Well, no one in this room is married, obviously. <laughs> no one in this room has kids. How many times have me and Sarah had an argument, and on paper, she's hurt, I'm hurt, and we're like, hey, I didn't sin against you. And then as I'm in bed, the Holy Spirit's working on me. You know your motives here, where did this to, to, uh, to make her feel bad? You know your motives here, where the, and I have all these motives that are dishonoring to God. And then by God's grace, I'll go, tomorrow, usually the next day or something, sweetie, actually, I want to apologize. You didn't see this, but in my heart, I knew this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong. So we both had opinions, but it was now it went to the matter of a conscience. Are you still with me? Yes, now stick with me now, because we want to have the maturity to hopefully do that. <laughs> To say, you know, I'm sorry. How many times do we talk to our kids where, you know, someone does something to our kid, and I'm going to give an example where, and, and they come and they say, you know, Joel actually, he did this and he meant it like this. And we're like, well, not necessarily, Joel is saying he didn't mean it like that. So now what do you have to do? What do you have to do now? You have to believe the best. First Corinthians 13. Ask Joel. Ask Joel. Joel. What was your heart? My heart was awesome. <laughs> That's hard work. What do you have to do at that moment? You have to believe the best. Are you hearing me, guys? Because what, what I've seen in my journey, what I've seen in Christian ministry, is this issue here of people of God slowly allowing things that aren't sin to fracture the local community. You know why? Because I propose to you, we all, we, we don't know we're doing this, but when we are taking our opinions, we're putting them on par with God's law. You hear me? 
And look what he says in verse 4. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? His point is, that's God's servant. So we're trying to teach our kids, how can you say that? I mean, you don't know what his heart is, right? Or, or Sarah might think, I know what you was really thinking. Well, you don't, baby. And some of y'all going, but I know he was lying at one day. No, look. That honors God more when you're willing to say, okay, I really think I know what's going on, but I'm going to trust God's sovereignty here. Right? Doesn't that honor God more? Imagine our local community. Imagine church communities that really deferred in this manner. Sincerely. Imagine church communities that, that poured out love and grace over, over, over matters where they're like, man, that, think about some of the matters we, we work through. Um, man, well, are you going to trick or treat or not? I mean, people get bent out of shape. Christian, you, you trick or treat? You, you celebrating Halloween? <laughs> what kind of, what, wait, you watching a movie? What is it rated? You drinking? You gambling? All the peripheral things that we get, we, we find ourselves, what you, wait, wait, how you know that was, how you know Jay-Z new song? <laughs> You're supposed to be walking with the Lord. <laughs> right? Man, just think about all the shackles we do. We, daily. How we approve people and disapprove people on our opinions, not God's opinion. And God is saying, guess what? I don't want you being concerned when someone steps on your toe. I want you concerned when they step on my toe. That's the whole point of this. God is saying, actually, your opinions actually don't matter that much. That's a humbling thing. Imagine us doing life like that, family. I bring it up because when I think of peace with, with each other, I don't know what you should put there. Right, 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 draw something, brother. Um, when I think of God's opinions and then man's opinions and conscience, guys, I'm just praying. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will literally remind you in your marriages, in your friendships, and specifically as it comes into the local community of how you can dispense grace and love and charity to people when they disagree with you, and it's not God's law. Are you hearing me? It's extremely important. Extremely important. Because you have legitimate or illegitimate hurt that festers in our heart, right? And then what happens, that illegitimate festering, or even legitimate sometimes, you know what it festers in, guys? Uh, it turns into a lack of love. And guess what? Every, and I'm, I'm, telling you, I'm, I'm telling you from experience. <laughs> You start lacking love for people. You start lacking grace. You start assigning motive. You start becoming bitter. Maybe you get jealous. And then what happens, guys? Pride and judgment. But remember, it was an opinion. I want to propose to you, that's what Christian maturity is all about. Yeah. Here, hey, guys, as a local community, Christian maturity is about this, is, is, is about us being willing to fight for God's issues of justice. This is a doctrinal thing, but I think it's important. He does that. He says that, and then he goes on in verse 16, 
helping us see that, okay, there's these, there's these three areas uh, that I just mentioned uh, that Satan tries to use, physical violence, Christian persecution, internal strife. And then he says, now may the Lord of peace, as he, as he, you can imagine, he's talking to these guys and all the stuff that's happened in their life and all the stuff that they've read in the letter is flashing before them. And he says, may the Lord of peace himself, the Lord of peace. What does he mean by that? Here's what he's saying, guys. He's saying, he's saying that I'm not telling you just to go get some peace. I'm telling you the Lord of peace, the one who owns it, who, who, who runs it. So remember this. It means, when you hear Lord of peace, it means that Jesus owns peace. He has peace, which means I own it and I can give it. He makes peace, which we just talked about, and he actually gives it. And, that, and that's why I love little passages, which, which the doctrine is really about authority, which I'm talking about here, his authority of having peace. I love passages uh, like Luke 8, where the storm is going crazy. And it's, and it's, and it's, a, it's an indicator. It's like, what, what, what God wants you to see is, as his people is that, man, okay, things are crazy. And then basically Jesus says to the storm, stop the drama. And it stops. And I want to propose to you that, he, that there, there's something theological about what he's trying to teach you at that moment. And he's trying to teach me is that he's running things all together. But even in this area, it's interesting that the concept there, even in the Greek, was he, he, that he, peace to the storm. He, as it were, calmed the storm. And Paul is saying here, he's asking, he's asking that from God toward his people in Thessalonians, guys. And he's trying to show you and me that this is a ministry. Peace is a ministry actually directly from Jesus himself. And he goes on to show the foundation, guys. He says in verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all, which is clearly what the foundation is. Is that he's wanting to know that, man, the Lord. Think about someone that you lean on most. All right? Uh, all that they mean. Think about, you know, the, the, the people in your life who you're like, man, I, this person right here is such a rock for me. And then picture them gone. What would you do? Guess what God is saying? He says your answer should be, and what Paul's answer for the Thessalonians was that God's presence is with you. He wants everyone to know that no matter who the rock is in your life, they're not the rock. He's telling these guys, God, God has you. And what it should do when he says with all in the church, it serves to encourage and to unify. He's wanting to encourage the fellowship, to, to gird you up, to, to believe, and then to unify us and say, oh, yes, we're the people of God. He's our peace. We have his presence. I don't have to fear. Then he goes on and says in verse 17, family, I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. Here's what's going on here. Obviously, um, this, is, this was to warn. I mean, in the first century, there were many people who were trying to forge letters and act like they were apostles so they could get uh, accolades and money and all this stuff. So there were was, there was scoundrels all over the place uh, in the early centuries. Uh, and that's why he says this many times throughout his letters. Uh, and so he was trying to conclude that this is authentic. Now, how do you apply that to us today? Here's his point. Not that it was authentic in the sense that he wrote it, 
May I propose to you, look at a few verses that are encouraging. Uh, can you throw up uh, Timothy and also, look at this. This is what the Bible says about the writings of the epistles. Now, I want to encourage you, have these two verses, these two pericopes be memory verses for you. Because that's how serious, because Paul is assuming something here. He's assuming this. And that is first, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Next verse, 2 Timothy 3, this is 2 Peter 1, 2, 20, knowing, he's talking about knowing that, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. He's, these guys never thought, they, I'm just writing this, you know, let me get my thoughts. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the reason why Paul says my letter is authentic because Paul was not trying to point you to him. He was trying to say, hey, it's important that my letter is authentic because actually God has been inspiring me to write letters. So if this letter is authentic, that means not that I wrote it, but God inspired me, which means God wrote it to you. See what he's saying there? This is, this is him kind of just pushing out quickly the doctrine of inspiration on you and me. He's saying, I want you to look at this and be encouraged to know that God is talking to you. Do you feel like that when you read the Bible? You should. He's letting us know that God has given us his presence and he's given us his promise. That's what he's saying. He's encouraging these guys. Can I just take a brief pastor moment and we're going to go home? This is important as a pastor. Because Leon will be preaching the Bible to you guys. And one of my favorite verses I just wanted to bring up to you, because uh, I never got a chance to preach it, because we, we didn't do the book of Joshua, so I thought I'd get in there anyway. <laughs> All right? This is one of my favorite passages, guys. Joshua 5. Look what he says. I don't know if I have it up there. Do I? When Joshua's by Jericho, so God has been faithful. They're in the land of Canaan. They're, they're just, a, just like one of the first times where they're eating, and it's not manna and stuff, because they actually got food around. They're like, man, we can actually cook. <laughs> Sir, they had a kitchen. It's crazy, right? They've been eating manna for years. And God is faithful. He lifted, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. This is our boy Joshua, faithful brother, working hard for Jesus. Guy has a sword in his hand, ready to do work. And I love this. Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua run up on him first, thinking like, I'm God's man, I'm God's people. Hey, you in trouble, because you know you're dealing, you're dealing with God's people. Who are you for? Guys, don't miss this. You see what he says there? No. <laughs> or some Bible says neither. So n- n- notice that. Who are you with? Are you with us, or are you with, are you with, you with the enemy? Dude said neither. I'm with the Lord's army. You hear what he's saying there? How do we, don't we, don't we do that? Are you on my, are you, God, whose side are you on? Mine or theirs? God says, neither. I'm never on anybody's side. I heard a pastor say once, God never comes to take sides. He comes to take over. Amen. <laughs> Powerful. I love it. And then Joshua still does something dumb, right? And he said to him, no. I, love, I just love that. No. I ain't, man, the question's so dumb, I ain't even answering it. No. <laughs> he didn't answer the question. But I'm the commander of the Lord's army, of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped 
and said to him, well, what does my Lord say to his servant? What do you want me to do? He's like, no, nah, look, first of all, you, you take your shoes off. Look what he says. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He had to, this, this brother had all kinds of stinking thinking. He was trying to do right. But God had to show him, I've been using you. I've been, you, 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 you've been faithful. But don't you get it twisted. I will kill you just like the enemy. I'm just, just blunt. I'm sorry, kids. But the passage is a sobering passage of a faithful servant of God who gets checked. Here's why here's I bring that up, guys. Because this is, a, this is about prophetic, being prophetic in our local community. And I just want to make sure that Pastor Leon has the freedom to be prophetic. And here's why. Because people want you to get up here and they want you to talk about opinions, what I think, what you think. And, I wanna, and what I try to do, and I hope I've modeled it throughout the years, family, I've tried to separate a pastoral moment where I say, hey, man, can I just be a pastor for a moment and say something? And then I stand up here. And, and, and pastors many times, and especially with my, my personality, you can come off, it can seem arrogant. But that's not the heart. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm trying to let you know from the scriptures that when I stand up and open up the Bible, I believe I'm telling you God's word. I am not up here giving you my opinions. I'm up here saying, thus saith the Lord. And so when Leon stands up here, my prayer is that he would not be on your side or on your side, but he would always be on the Lord's side. And it would be so clear and that you would celebrate that. That you would honor that. That you would stand under the authority of Scripture and not above it. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this with the greeting of my hand. That was Paul's presence. I'm promising you Jesus' presence in verse 16. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine that I write. I'm promising you that his word... His promises are sure. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so as you continue to raise money, Mac Avenue Community Faith, Community Church, I want to encourage you. May the Lord be with you. As you continue to preach the scriptures and you're faithful to the word of God, may the Lord be with you. As you continue to disciple faithfully and pour into other men and women in this community and continue to fight the fight of faith and discipleship, may the Lord be with you as you continue to find rhythms and cadences of rest and enjoyment and laughter and sitting up at the commons and just hanging out, may the Lord be with you. And as you have friction, as you have drama, as there's pain, may the Lord be with you. So I want you to know the Russ family loves you. And, but Christ loves you even more. Um, new email, eomission <laughs> at gmail. <laughs> um, I have a mic that you can't drop, so uh, we're gonna go to we're gonna go to a time of uh, worship as we uh, do communion, as you guys contemplate what is proclaimed before you. Uh, we do our tithe and offering. We want to tell you that, hey, if you're here, keep your wallet to your side. We're just glad to have you. Uh, please give unto the Lord. 
Hey, my man. So he doesn't know this is happening, but uh, we want Pastor E's last words to be him leading this congregation in communion. And so before that, we want to, I'm going to read what I wrote, because I don't think I'll be able to get through everything if I just try to freestyle it. So we got years together. Mm -hmm. We got time together. And uh, I don't know if I get through it, unless I read what I have. So first, Russ family, can y'all come up? Why don't you join your dad, join your husband? Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they didn't know about this. I should get the mic. (sighs) Pastor E, on behalf of everyone present and those that will be listening at home, we want to thank you for encouraging words and preaching God's word today. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And over the years, you have encouraged us with God-centered knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Eric, you and your family have decided that being trained to invest in leaders is the best use of your skill set, and the congregation who loves you very much agrees. Your intellect and ability to communicate are tools given to you by God, and we trust that you will use them for his glory. Although we can not kind of summarize the last 12 years in a couple of minutes, what we can do is thank you. We can thank you for the countless hours you've spent counseling, the thousands of hours you've spent preparing sermons that would help us understand God's word and spur us on to holy living, the many hours it took to pour into relationships that have allowed Mac to have partners at a local and regional level, the sacrifices your family has made to endure for the sake of choosing to walk with people through some very hard times. But we will miss your humor. (laughs) That humor has brought many of us tears of joy, and we're also going to miss that falsetto from the front pew. We know that you've been able to do this and much more because of the amazing support of your family. Sarah, you've been a church planner. You just never had the official title. In addition to supporting Eric and fanning the flames of his gifts and being his rock, you've also greatly encouraged this congregation. You've modeled hospitality to so many, asked thoughtful questions that opened us up to God working in our lives, started ministry after ministry from teacher's appreciation to times of evangelism and so many others. Sarah, your gentle spirit has been a part of the fabric of Mac, and we are so thankful for you being an instrument of God's grace to this community. Kids, we thank you all. We thank you for sharing your parents with us. We know admit that there were nights when They didn't tuck you in because they were caring for us. There were games that they missed because they were caring for us. And we really, really are thankful to you for sharing your parents with us. But every time we get a chance to be in your presence, you're a reminder of God's grace through your unique and beautiful personalities. 
Family, this does not serve as a goodbye yet. We're going to have a goodbye uh, gathering time sometime in July uh, after service. But we did want to be able to celebrate them as a church family. So out of gratitude today, Pastor E, we want to present you with a plaque that we've created. The plaque comes from the elders and this church family. And the plaque says, Macav Community Church. Eric A. Russ, founding pastor, and gratitude for over a decade of gospel-centered leadership and service in Detroit's 48214 community, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. gifts for everyone. Sorry. (laughs) For Sarah. And yep, we got gifts for the kids too. (laughs) Amen. And now, will you join me in celebrating our pastor, Pastor Eric? Come on, get up. Father, we are so thankful for the years this family has put into serving this community. They have sacrificed, given, and they love you. They love us. As they move to this next season of life, will you care for them? Use their gifts, use their skills, use their abilities, God, to bring your name glory. Would you allow others to be impacted by them? Would you allow their character to grow in you? Would you allow this family to be praying for them? Let us continue to celebrate them because we know, Lord, the biggest miracle that you've allowed to take place in their life is that you took them from dead and made them alive. And we can rejoice in that fact. We love you, Jesus. And we love the Russ family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.